This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, please help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your word to us this morning by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In the second year of the administration of President Donald Trump, when Tom Wolfe was the governor of the state of Pennsylvania, Bill Peduto was mayor of Pittsburgh. During the time when Jim Hobby was the Anglican bishop of Pittsburgh, the word of God came to Dieter <laughs> and Karen and Roger and Linda. And I could go on and on. And you went out into your neighborhood. You went to your colleagues at work. You spoke with your extended family, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, such a reimagining of our gospel reading this morning may bring the message of John the Baptist closer to home, perhaps a little too close to home. The account of John preparing the way for Christ may be more comfortable kept at a distance. And of course, these words of scripture are set in time and in history in a particular context. And yet, our God is a God who still speaks today. And the message of John the Baptist isn't trapped in time for it is relevant and challenging for us today. Our scriptures, all of them this morning, are powerful. They speak God's word to his people over countless generations. First, we encountered God speaking through his prophet Malachi, who lived some 400 years before John the Baptist. And Malachi was speaking in the context of a people who had become cynical, who'd become unbelieving. They had given up, really, on God and on taking righteousness and justice seriously. They were too focused on their own prosperity. And so Malachi looks ahead to the day when God would come afresh among his people. And that messenger of whom he spoke, we now know, was, of course, John the Baptist. Jesus says so to the crowds who followed him and were asking about, well, who is this John fellow? In Luke 7, Jesus tells the people, this is the one about whom it is written, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And in Malachi and in the gospel, the message is essentially the same. Prepare the way. And so I wonder, is it possible that God may even still be saying the same thing to us? Prepare the way. The scriptures today speak of a coming day of the Lord, a day that will be both wonderful and terrible. Advent is all about waiting for that coming day. 
We wait and prepare to celebrate Christmas, yes. But more than that, we wait and prepare for that day when Jesus will come again. So how are we to do that? How can we prepare the way for Jesus' coming again? Last week, we considered the same question. And I spoke about the importance of waiting and hoping, two sides of the same coin, and the importance of loving others as we wait. And from our scriptures this morning, we see three particular ways that we're called to prepare ourselves for the coming again of Jesus. First, we are called to repent. Indeed, unless we're willing to repent, all of our other preparations are worthless. This was at the heart of the prophet Malachi's message. God's people were being religious with their festivals and their assemblies and all sorts of meetings, while at the same time their lives were a mess. They were trampling on the poor. They were robbing God of the tithes that he was due. They were generally carrying on with complete disregard for God. They professed him with their lips, but in their lives they ignored him. They were functionally acting as if they were atheists. And the coming judgment was prophesied to be against certain people, and Malachi lists them against the sorcerers, adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress others, hired workers in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And that list, honestly, is pretty comprehensive and likely lets few of us here off the hook. Interestingly, in John's day, many of the people who tagged along to come and see what he was about, were also deeply religious people. And yet many of them, too, were living a double standard. They were observing the minutiae of the law on the one hand while placing heavy burdens on other people on the other. And God says through John, repent. And repentance is still at the very heart of the gospel. For none of us, not one, is pure and blameless. It is only through Christ and his grace that any of us can ever find mercy and grace and forgiveness. The prophet Malachi speaks of the Lord as being like a refiner's fire. And one of the great Advent themes is that when Christ comes again, he will return as judge. Malachi prophesies, verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier. Now, pictures of fire are disturbing, of course. But it's worth noticing here also that the picture of fire is not of total destruction. It's not a punishment, rather it's a refining process. And the purifying is signaled also with this reference to fuller's soap. They didn't have regular soap like we have now. They had a type of uh, alkali that was used to, to whiten cloth. That's what fuller's soap is. But where does this leave us today? I wonder how does this resonate with you? 
I think I can say with a degree of confidence that among us are individuals who likely feel weighed down by guilt or shame. There will be others who, frankly, are proud or judgmental, thinking of themselves as better than others. And taken as a whole, we are a people who honestly have not loved God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. We haven't. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. But whatever your particular circumstance, whatever sins and shortcomings you wrestle with, today, this morning, draw near. Draw near to Jesus. Repent. Ask him to forgive you and receive his love. Repentance is not merely acknowledging our sin. It's not even saying merely sorry for our sin. But it's turning from our sin and turning to Christ. And so preparing the way for Jesus requires attending to those things in our lives that need to be submitted afresh to God. St. John speaks of rough places that need to be made smooth. And the image that John uses is that of road building. If you watch the massive earth movers that carve their way through hillsides to make roads straight, you'll see that's a pretty drastic exercise. And when Malachi speaks of the Lord as a refiner, he has in mind the impurities and the dross being burned up in the furnace. You know, sometimes I think we like the idea of holiness but we rather hope it may come to us gently. But the image here is not of God using a comfort blanket to polish up our rough edges. No. Gold is refined by fire. And God's refining may come to us, well, it it can come in all kinds of ways. It might come to us through suffering. It might come to us through hardship. It might come to us through having to come face to face with our own failures or disappointments. And so we would do well not to get in the way of God's refining work. In England, you won't see TV ads for pain relievers. It seems that pain relievers, well, obviously they're big business. Because they're, they're, they're being advertised and pushed all the time. And of course we want our pain relieved. But of course we, 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 we live in a world where people attempt to kind of bubble wrap their lives. Parents, we're, we're especially guilty of this. And I think we need to kind of stop doing that. Because what if God wants to use some of these challenges that we or our children or our neighbors are facing to get our attention, to draw us to his refining love. Well, if we go back to the road-building analogy, let me ask you this. What crooked places are there in your life that need to be straightened out? What empty valleys are there that need to be filled? What mountains of our own egos need to be leveled? What rough edges of our character need to be reformed and smoothed out.
so that God's salvation can be made manifest through our lives. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us with a very clear call to repent. And with that, a challenge for us to ask God to help us prepare the way for the Lord in our lives. Not only for ourselves, but for the sake of others. You know, today's message is not an exhortation to try harder to be better or to be good, as if somehow we can refine ourselves and get rid of the potholes without God's help. We cannot. The only way that this kind of transformation occurs in people's lives is as we hear and respond to this call to repentance. And the good thing about repentance, however hard it may be, is that the kind of honesty that goes uh, with it from our side elicits from God not a chastisement, not a disappointment, not disapproval, but rather his love and delight. So the first way we're to prepare the way is through repentance. The second way that we can prepare the way of the Lord is, as it was last week, but in a different passage now, by growing in love. We're going to take a look at our epistle reading. And we see that St. Paul is praying that the Christians at the church in Philippi would grow in their love for one another. If you can, take a look in your bulletins at that passage from Philippians and look at verse 9. This is a great prayer that I commend to you to take home and use this week. It's a prayer that you can use to pray for one another. And if you're not sure who to pray for, pray uh, for your neighbor or for whomever you live with or the person you're sitting next to right now. That their love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help them to determine what is best so that they may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus for the glory and praise of God. That's what we as Christian brothers and sisters can pray for one another. So what might overflowing love look like? You know, when I think of an overflow, I usually think of a toilet that's overflowing. Or maybe a waterfall, if I'm having a better day, I'll think of a waterfall that cascades down from a beautiful mountain glacial lake. But the thing about an overflow, whether it's from your toilet, and by the way, I know Americans are very funny about that word toilet. You have so many words to describe that room. Anyway, I won't go off on that. Um, So in England, they're called toilets. Um, But the thing about overflows, whether they're good or bad, is that they just overflow. You don't have a lot of control about them. And actually, Jesus said that about what comes out of our mouths. He said, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. The waterfall at the end of a high-up glacial lake overflows pure, clear water. And it doesn't have to try to do that. It just flows out. And likewise, that which pours out from a backed-up sewer line, and that's the last time I'll use that analogy, is that which naturally flows out in all its foulness. The overflow of love that St. Paul is praying for is love that is filled with knowledge and full insight to help us to know what is best. And in this season of Advent, of waiting, 
hoping for Jesus to come again, of preparing the way for him to work in our midst, we need this kind of love. It's not a sentimental kind of love. It's a strong love. It's a love that is filled with knowledge and truth. It helps us to know what is best, to know that in our work, in our relationships, in our decision-making, so that we may, we may do what is right, so that we may be pure and blameless. You know, I, I sometimes worry about what will overflow from my mouth if I had no filters. You know, if I'm semi-conscious or if I'm in great pain, what's going to come out of my mouth? Now, we might all get a hint of what might flow from you if you think about how you behave or what you say when you think no one's there, no one's looking, maybe when you're driving your car, I don't know. But the time for us to prepare for what we might say in extremists when we're semi-conscious or whatever is not when we're in that state, obviously. It's today and tomorrow and the next day. And the preparation that you and I can do is a preparation of our hearts. And if our hearts and our minds are set on the Lord, then the overflow that comes out of that will be good. And so we can have confidence, a confidence based not on our own merits, but in Jesus. In the one who Paul reminds us, who has begun a good work in our midst. You see, God's not finished with us. And there's more in our readings today, as well as this call to repent, as well as uh, the prayer that we would overflow with love. There's a third word for us this morning, and that word is, is joy. You know, I think sometimes we hear these words calling us to repent and we consider the refining fire that will produce good fruit and we may be afraid of how hard this is going to be. And certainly these words today are serious. They're weighty words for us to ponder. But our reading from Philippians, actually the whole book of Philippians, is just bursting with hope and with joy. Now, I know, strictly speaking, the third Advent week and candle is for joy, but there's plenty of joy for next week, too. Paul writes, I thank God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. This church at Philippi was started by a small group of women who met outside the city walls. And Paul's confidence and joy was not based on how big that church was or how successful it was, but rather on the faithfulness of these women and God's ability to work in them. And I think when we're facing trials or hardships or grief, it's good to remember that God is not done with us. Consider again, just for a minute, those rough places in your life. And you, you know what those are. And ask God to make them smooth. Ask God to show you how he is refining you. 
I know when I'm feeling under pressure or facing trials, it helps me to remember, as we did with the psalmist this morning, God's goodness. What a wonderful refrain in our psalm this morning. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. What joy, what hope there is when we put our hope and trust in God, when we remember the great, great things he's done for us. And though, as the psalmist recognizes, though we may sow in tears, we will reap with songs of joy. And though there is weeping in the planting, there is joy in the harvesting. And I I don't know what season you're in, whether you're in a season of sowing in tears or whether there's weeping in planting. But hold on to this hope, will you? That when we do that, we can reap with songs of joy. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent. Overflow with love and be glad. For the Lord has done great things for us and he is coming again. And on that day, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I am confident that the one who has begun a good work among us will bring it to completion. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work in our lives and in the life of this congregation. Thank you that you are a God who knows us and loves us and speaks to us still today. Help us to hear your call to turn again to you and to repent of our sin. Father, forgive us and increase in us your love and your joy, that love and joy may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight, so that we, even us, may be found pure and blameless when you shall come again in glory. You have done great things for us, and we are glad. Amen.